today on Growth Mindset University. He didn't want to live on a farm for the rest of his life, so he started cold emailing every billionaire in Madrid. He was like shaking as he was telling me this. He's like, I have like two meetings with two of them next week. You're listening to Growth Mindset University, educating tomorrow's leaders with lessons from today's entrepreneurial elite. It's a progressive new age of business we find ourselves in, and we'll help you find the success you seek by listening to today's industry professionals and thought leaders teach us the lessons we should have learned in school but didn't. Now, please welcome your host, Jordan Paris. My guest today is Alex Benayan. Alex is the only national best-selling business author under 30 in America. His book, The Third Door, The Wild Quest to Uncover How the World's Most Successful People Launched Their Careers, has been translated into more than a dozen languages. Over the course of his unprecedented seven-year journey, Benayan interviewed the most innovative leaders of the past half century, including Bill Gates, Lady Gaga, Larry King, Maya Angelou, the Larry King story was pretty funny in the book. The way you flagged him down, that was actually hilarious. I, I, I just, that always sticks out at me. I remember that. Uh, Steve Wozniak, Jane Goodall, Jessica Alba, Quincy Jones, and so many more. The day before his freshman year final exams, Benayan hacked The Price is Right, won a sailboat, sold it, and used the money to fund his larger-than-life adventure. Since then, Benayan has been named to the Forbes 30 Under 30 list, Business Insider's Most Powerful People Under 30, and has been featured in all sorts of major media, including the Washington Post, Fortune, you know, you get, you get the deal. An acclaimed keynote speaker, Benayan has presented the third door framework to business conferences and corporate leadership teams around the world, including Apple, Google, Nike, IBM, Snapchat, Salesforce, and Disney. Alex Benayan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So, to be here. yeah, yeah, of course. So, people can find your book, The Third Door, on Amazon, a national bestseller. Of course, as I mentioned, thirddoorbook.com is the website. And I, I regard this book as highly as guests like Dan Millman and his Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Uh, I, you know, when he was on the show, I was like, you must get this book. The Third Door is one of those books. You must get this book. Uh, I I have it in Audible, audiobook form. So this physical copy here is actually from a friend that, that loaned it to me so I could you know, <laughs> go through it easier for the interview. But if I did have it in physical form, which I probably just have to, I'm just going to have to get my own. It would be on my favorites shelf back there along with Mark Manson and Dan Millman and Tony Robbins. It'd be right near the top there. So I'm going to have to get a physical copy. But Alex, before we, I ask you some of the questions or try to ask you questions you've never been asked before because you've been interviewed so many times. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question that you've been asked 100,000 times. Explain the third door. Can you explain the third door framework just so people are up to speed on that. Of course. First of all, thank you for uh, such kind words, man. It means a lot. It's, you know, it's why I put, you know, seven years into writing that book. Uh, yeah. So there, the fact that it had one, that impact makes me really happy. Yeah, there was one part too. I remember I was traveling to LA and I was, I, so I had it on, I was listening to it on tape and it's one of my favorite things to do to listen to audiobooks 40,000 feet in the air. And I remember, I don't remember which part it was exactly. Maybe it was near the end about your father 
but I remember tearing up at least like one time, a little bit, you know, uh, it, it had that type of moving impact on me. Thank you, man. I appreciate you saying that. So the third door, the framework. So after spending, you know, seven years tracking down and researching the world's most successful people, I realized that every single one of these people on the outside were completely different. You know, Maya Angelou grew up in Stamps, Arkansas. Bill Gates grew up in Seattle. Warren Buffett in Omaha, Nebraska. But at their core, every single one of these people treated life and business and success the exact same way. And the analogy that came to me, because I was 21 at the time, is that it's almost like getting into a nightclub. There's always three ways in. So there's the first door, the main entrance, where the line curves around the block, where 99% of people wait around hoping to get in. That's the first door. And then there's the second door, the VIP entrance, where the billionaires and celebrities go through. And for some reason, school and society have this way of making us feel like those are the only two ways in. You either wait your turn or you're born into it. Yeah, yeah. But what I learned is that there's always, always the third door. And it's the entrance where you jump out of line, run down the alley, bang on the door a hundred times, crack open the window, go through the kitchen. There's always a way in. And it doesn't matter if that's how Bill Gates sold his first piece of software or how Lady Gaga got her first record deal. They all took the third door. Yeah. A a quote from one of uh, another past guest, James Altucher, he it's, you know, I'm going to butcher it, but he's like, you know, paying your dues, the the idea, the notion that we have to pay our dues, quote unquote, pay our dues is a lie told to us by people who wanted our labor on the cheap. You don't have, you don't always have to pay your dues. seems like, you know, you don't always have to like wait in line, you know, that that phrase can be taken a lot of different ways. For I, sure, you know, I'm a yes. Huge believer in you know, not even believer. I've just seen you know people need experience. You know, um, Steve Martin has this great quote. He says something along the lines of you know, getting discovered isn't the hard part. What's being you know, the hard part is being good enough that you deserve to get discovered. You know, phrases like I you know definitely agree with that. But yeah. yes, there definitely is a myth that you have to you know. You know, get an internship, get an mm. entry-level job, work your way up. You know, it's a very linear progression, which isn't true. Um, you what I've learned system. is what, yeah, what I've learned is that you know, whether you want to be an entrepreneur, whether you want to work at a corporation, whether you want to be an artist, an author, a writer, a podcaster, you know, whatever your aspiration is, there is a way to make it happen where you don't have to wait around hoping and asking the permission of you know, the powers that be. Yeah. So would you start writing this book at 19? Did the writing actually start then? Started, this journey started when I was 18. The journey, yeah, the journey started. When did the writing start? Depends what you call writing. Because I thought the writing started when I was 18. I was like, oh, this is a great chapter. But mm. none of that actually made it into the book. The- That's what I was going to say. Like some of the stuff, like if you began writing it that early, I was thinking like, yeah, you probably had to throw out a lot of stuff. Yes. Um, I would say the first chapter that I wrote that was of the quality that made it into what the final book is, I maybe started when I was... 
21. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things, yeah. 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 One of the things you talk about, uh, that, I, that I've heard you talking about on, you know, other shows, the book, you know, you, your mission is to essentially inspire a generation to believe in what's possible. Like, what do you want to know? What do you want people to know is possible, Alex? You know, it's it's funny. It's evolved very much over time. Mm. And I'd say, you know, a big thing that I'm really focused on now is, and it's very personal to me, you know, the key to liberating yourself, whether that's in your career, whether that's in your personal life, the key to liberating yourself has actually been in your pocket this entire time. Yeah, what do you mean in po- in my pocket? It's not my phone, you know, is it? No, it's, you know, <laughs> you know, the whole journey of the third door is me going out and going on this, you know, seven-year wild goose chase, you know, tracking down Bill Gates, looking for the answer from him. And look, I definitely needed to go on that journey to find out that everything that I needed from him, I had within myself. Um but it was the journey that helped me find it within myself. And, you know, there's, you know, those, you know, famous quotes of like, you know, maybe the, you know, maybe the hero you're waiting for is you. Or, you know, even in a family, you know, situation, maybe the right thing that you're waiting the adults in the family to do, you can do it. Be the hero of your own story. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what I've learned is that, you know, at the end of the day, no matter what obstacles you're facing, there's always a way. Yeah, yeah, there's always a way. Yes, that's, oh, that's, of course, one of your core messages. I was actually in the subject line when I emailed you now that I I think about it. So, like, you know, obviously the third door, taking that third door is a bit unconventional. You got to find it. It takes a little bit of searching, it seems, to, and it's different depending on the situation. Like, what would you ask people to consider, though? Those who are afraid to maybe break the mold, you know, they're they're they only see those first two doors, and and you know, they hear this and they're like, oh yeah, that, that sounds great, but they're still going to take more than likely those first two doors. They're still going to go in those two doors. What would you? They're just going to brush it off. What would you urge people to consider? Yeah, I wouldn't say anything to them. I would just <laughs> No, I'm serious. I love well, it. Yes. Maybe, you know, years ago I would try to argue with them. I wouldn't say anything with them. Uh. Um, I would just keep living my life and helping the people who want to be helped and perhaps maybe those people um who are waiting in line at the first door will start perhaps get fed up with their situation or maybe they'll like it and you know, all the best for them, you know, all the best to them, but Sometimes you have to realize you don't have power over people and the best you, you can do is just, you know, live your life, do the best choices for yourself. And hopefully that sets an example and shows other people what's possible. And yeah, yeah. what I've learned is that when you change what someone believes is possible, you change what becomes possible. For sure. Yeah. Man, sometimes though, you know, just, you just run out of energy to like convince other people 
to your to your way of thinking like you like it doesn't really matter you don't have what do you especially convince you know yeah 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 with if someone doesn't want your help um cool they have the dignity of their own journey sure yeah and you know it's taken me a long time to realize that but there are enough people out there who do need and are asking for help um, who are looking for it. Now, look, they can subconsciously want help and ask for help subconsciously. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there's definitely, a, you know, I have heard, you know, hundreds and s- hundreds of stories of people who have read the third door um, who say, you know, I didn't want to read a business book for, but for some reason I, you know, saw your book sitting on my, you know, friend's couch and I, picked it up and read it all in one night. You know, those are people who subconsciously were looking for, you know, some answers or some, you know, encouragement or some perspective. Um, But yeah, if someone's crossing their arms and saying, you know, buzz off. Cool. Yeah. 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 For sure. More power to you. What's the coolest story like that you've heard about the book? You know, someone's journey with with your book. Oh my God! What a yeah, that, yeah. You're, that, you're right. That it's a great question. No one's ever asked me, and that no is, one's ever what? That's a softball question. That's easy. Uh, friends ask me, but okay. not. You know, I don't normally get that on a podcast. Oh my God! There's well, so me. many. It's cool that I can actually close my eyes and uh, there's like names of people, not mm. who I'm friends with, but who I've met along. I was so this last year was the US book tour and the book came out last year and this year was the international book tour. So the international book launches that are very much on my mind and in each country there was always like one person that really I felt like I'm never going to forget. Yeah. Um in Spain, oh my god, there's this one there's this one guy I think he's like 19 years old his name was david and he lived on a farm like two hours outside of madrid and he said that he bought the book and read it all in one night and he's like 19 and he decided that he didn't want to live on a farm for the rest of his life so he started cold emailing every billionaire in madrid and he's like, he was like shaking as he was telling me this. He's like, I have like two meetings with two of them next week. Using, and like, the, using the Tim yeah. Ferriss email template in there. Correct. Yeah. That, that, that like, was my favorite part of the book, by the way. I, that's awesome. I, I was like so happy for him because, you know, I could see the look in his eyes that his entire sense of what's possible had changed, you know, overnight. Um. You know, there was this other, there was this 14-year-old named Sangkook in Korea that came to one of my book signings who, again, lived like, you know, two and a half hours outside of Seoul. And he had to get his, he had to like ditch middle school and have his mom drive him to, you know, the book signing event because it was on a Monday. And yeah, he, his dream is to be like a big Hollywood director. And he's like, you know, I've read the Steven Spielberg chapter like five wow. times and you know, there are just like so many, you know, I can, it's, it's, I think the reason why I remember these, you know, stories so clearly is because these were the, 
literally these were the reasons why I wrote this book. Yeah, yeah. The Spielberg chapter was crazy. And I know you've talked about it so much and it's in the book. So we're not going to talk about it here, but that's another plug. You can get the third door on Amazon, thirddoorbook.com. <laughs> I appreciate, it's a, I appreciate it's a, you, uh, yeah, you pushing yeah. it, man. That's very kind of you. It, it's a must read. But let, let's talk about, uh, before we move on to the subject of interviewing, because I really want to talk about that, uh, I got one more thing. Tell us about the power of an inside man. You know, an inside man, an inside woman, an inside person is anyone inside of an organization. And this is, you know, something I learned from studying Spielberg. Anyone inside of an organization who believes in you enough that they're willing to, you know, put their reputation on the line to help you get in. And, you know, not only looking at Spielberg's career, you can look at Warren Buffett's career, you can look at Lady Gaga's career, you can look at um, Jane Goodall's career. There's always that person every single yep. time. People um, spending precious social capital. Social capital, financial capital, yep. um, for you know reasons that you know this person can't even pay them back, um, and it's on you to find your inside man. It's not you know God's job to drop it on your lap. It's not you know. You're not owed anything in life. It's your job to go figure it out. And if you, you know, reach out to hundreds and hundreds of mentors and you get one person who believes in you that much, you win. Yeah. Did you have an inside man in terms of hmm? In terms of like your book launch going so well and it being a national bestseller. Like how were you like, you probably like 25 when the book is released? Yeah, maybe. Yes, I was 25. Oh, that's a good guess. Uh, so uh, how does a 25-year-old make a book launch go so well? Did you have like an inside man to like make something happen? Hmm. That's a great question. I, I've been very lucky in my life because there have been many, 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 many inside men inside women inside women. people yeah, my yeah. whole life um actually i'm not gonna say my whole life i would say specifically you know the past seven year journey um you know i've definitely had you know mentors as a kid but not people who you know just yeah. you know busted down doors for me and it's interesting you would say the book launch because that was a different kind of quest. You know, when it was coming to Bill Gates, I can point to one person who, or one or two people who were, you know, completely changed the game when it came to, you know, connecting with Mark Zuckerberg. You know, there was one person, you know, when it came to writing the book and learning how to interview, there's one person. With the book launch, there were so many things going on. There were, yeah, there was maybe, you know, three to 500 little, you know, I didn't have with my book launch uh, because, you know, it was this unknown, relatively yeah, yeah, unknown yeah. first time author. It wasn't like I just had this, you know, person who helped me get to Oprah and, you know, that was my launch. So my launch wasn't one thing. My launch was, you know, 500 
small things that all led to this, you know, thankfully very uh, fruitful event. So I would say each one of those 500 things had someone. Yes. To get on this podcast, I had that person help me. And to get on that podcast, there was that person. And yes, every single thing, there was someone who helped me. Um, But I wouldn't, it's hard to just pin it on one person. It was, you know, a collective effort of hundreds and hundreds of people. Yeah, yeah. I, and look, I can relate. I can relate too. And I'm going to be like super narcissistic here. Like people wonder, how did I get a TEDx talk? Inside man. How did I get featured in Forbes? Inside woman. How did I interview James Altucher in front of a live audience in New York City? Inside man. I was introduced. These all of the, I was introduced by, to a billionaire uh, in the past year. And like all these things have come from having an inside man. Like I've been able to catapult my own career from having that inside person uh, and, and establishing and building up a relationship with that person. Not even like out of like, Ooh, I'm going to get them with a favor one day. It's just like, it, it goes to back to treating everyone like they can get you a cover story in Forbes magazine. And eventually one of those people will probably be your inside person somewhere. So, and, and you, you never know. You never know what someone can do for you. Yeah, I would. Yes. And I also would also, you know, invite you to maybe think about it differently in the sense of. Yeah. Knowing that, you know, the inverse is true too, which is even if they do nothing, you know, to help you. Oh, exactly. You know, you know, they're a human being and you're a yep. human being. And there's this quote from Maya Angelou that I love, which says, you know, that person is a human being. They're no more human than you, no less human than you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it takes me many years to really understand that. But that's the truth. And the thing about life is that you're not going to connect with everyone. You're not going to vibe mm-hmm. with everyone. You're, you know, but if you're lucky enough, whether it's a friendship or a mentorship or a romantic relationship or a business relationship, if you're lucky enough to really deeply click with one out of 500 people that you come across, you're winning. Absolutely. So let's talk about interviewing uh, a topic that, uh, that I very much enjoy. Uh, topic I'm passionate about learning about. Uh, we have a lot of podcasters that listen to Growth Mindset University. So let's just start it off with something really simple. Who was your favorite person to interview? If Quincy you have Jones. a favorite. Quincy, Lin- yeah. Lindsay Jones? No, Quincy Jones. Oh, I was, I was like, who's Lindsay Jones? I was like, what? Yeah, Quincy Jones. <laughs> Quincy Jones. Okay, yeah, that's awesome. But the one I was definitely the most excited for Bill, coming you know, coming into Bill. his Bill Gates for sure. Uh-huh. For sure. So did you ever doubt yourself as an interviewer? Yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot. Um, I wasn't, that? I wasn't good in the beginning. Mm. I was, you know, getting the job done, asking questions, but it wasn't until I met a man named Cal Fussman. Yes. I, I know him. Yes. Um, Cal is, you know, one of the world's greatest interviewers. And it wasn't yes. until I met Larry King and Cal Fussman where I really learned the art of the interview, which is much different than asking questions. Well, you, you can't just leave us hanging. 
So I'll tell you, I'll tell you some of the big things that I learned. Yes. Um, you know, I actually asked Larry King when I first met him, I said, you know, I chase, you know, you know the story. I chase Larry King through this grocery store and, you know, I go to breakfast the next day and he like blows me off. And then I finally, you know, go back to breakfast with him and I ask him, you know, honestly, I just wanted to learn how to interview people. And he gives me, you know, the greatest interviewing advice I'd ever heard. He said, look, most young people who, and he didn't mean young by age. He meant, you know, people who are just starting out being an interviewer. You know, you can be, you know, 25 years old. You can be 75 years old. You know, most people who are just starting out look to the interviewers they admire most. And, you know, they might look at Oprah Winfrey, who puts a lot of emotion into her questions, or Barbara Walters, who's very strategic, or they might look to Larry himself, and who has very direct questions and simple questions. And they'll look at those styles and try to copy that. And Larry said, that is the single biggest mistake you can make. Because you're copying what our styles are. You're not copying why we're doing those styles. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, the reason each of those people have those specific styles is because that's what makes them the most comfortable in their chairs. Yes. And when you're comfortable in your chair, the person across from you can be comfortable in their chair. And that's what makes for the best interview. Man, that is also one of my favorite parts of the book that always stuck with me as an interviewer. When I and when I hear these other interviewers, uh, you know, I, I listen to Joe Rogan, I listen to James Altucher, I, I listen to Cal, you know, I listen to Cal Fussman. And it's very important. I always always try to like stop myself from from emulating their style you know uh i can study them for sure but emulating emulating them would, would be a mistake because uh that's they have that style because that's what makes them the most comfortable in their seat which makes the other person most comfortable in their seat i i, I just got to be comfortable over here and if i am em emulating their style i'm not gonna i might not be comfortable you know, like I'm not Joe Rogan. Like it's just not going to work. <laughs> it it really doesn't. I've I, and I feel like in the past I've tried. You know, I've definitely tried to make it more like Joe Rogan. Like okay, so actually I was on one of the podcasts. I was on this guy. Uh, it was there were two co-hosts. They were like, yeah, it's like a Joe Rogan style conversation, and they were trying to be. They were like trying to be Joe Rogan, trying to make it super conversational and funny. And it just didn't work. And all the reviews were like, these guys, like, like this, these could be 15 minute podcasts, not an hour, hour and a half long podcast. They were, they were like, they were all, all the reviews were like negative to their specifically calling out like the style because they were trying to copy. It doesn't work. So I got, I got, I have more questions. So do you ever get like, you ever get this depressing anxiety before an interview? Depressing? No, no. Um, I do. Okay. <laughs> tell me more. I feel like I go 30 minutes before an interview, I go into like shutdown. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's Did you weird. Did that before this one? Yeah, it's and it's not even it's not just you, man. Like it's it's like, tell me what that everyone. feels like. 
I don't know what to do in the 30 minutes leading up to it. And I just kind of go on my phone and I'm just on my phone, like trying to waste time until the interview. And I'm, I can't even explain why I feel like, I just feel like the, the, like the life (laughs) drained out of me, but then the other person gets on the screen and I'm like, Oh, I'm good. Like, this is great. Okay. You want a little tip? Yeah, I do. Um, look, I wouldn't say to turn your phone off because the guest might have to contact you the first exactly. like, 30 yes. minutes before. Of course. However, don't be on your phone. Take a journal. And because I'll get jitters, you know, if it's a yes, big, yes. you know, high stakes interview. Yeah, get the jitters um, too sometimes. Get a journal. Yep. And journal first about what you're feeling. Remind yourself that pretty normal reaction to what you're about to do. And then when you're done doing that and journaling on how, how you're feeling and describing what you're feeling, journal about what your intention is Yes. for this conversation and why this matters for people beyond yourself. Why what you're about to do is going to help people beyond yourself. Um, but the first part is actually more important, which is actually, what's your intention? What do you want to be feeling? Yeah. And I would also recommend if you're open to it, uh, I started doing transcendental meditation Mm. and I've been doing it twice a day for about five years now, five, six years. And it has really, really helped. It's actually funny. One of the people who I interviewed for the book was Pitbull and with Pitbull, I ended up spending like the whole day with him and his team. And I didn't really have time normally before I have an interview, like, you know, for example, with Jessica Alba, you know, I was meeting her at her office. So I parked in the parking lot and right before the interview that you know, I got there early. So I just like sat in my car and meditated in the car with Pitbull. I didn't have that time. Cause I was just like running around with his team and they're like, all right, we'll start in five minutes. And I literally like, <laughs> thank God I had been, you know, meditating, for you know, a few years at that point, and I was able to just sort of like drop into that mm. meditative state, even for just a couple minutes. Um, but it's something I highly recommend, and that's you know whether you want to be an interviewer or if anyone listening wants to be a performer, um, or even if you're just going for a, a you know job application, a you know job interview. Fear is normal. Anxiety, you know, humans have anxiety. And instead of battling it or pretending it doesn't exist, try to sit it down and ask it what it needs. And more often than not, it wants to be seen and it wants some space to calm down. Yeah. And it's so easy for us to just reach inside of our phones and try to distract ourselves. And look, I do it too. Um, But if you really want to, perform at your best, you have to bring all aspects of yourself into that room, into that interview. And your anxiety and your fear is part of yourself. So trying to push it down and pretend it doesn't exist is like leaving part of yourself outside of the interview room. Mm. And what leads to the best interviews is when you're fully present and fully there and 
like Larry said, comfortable in your seat. Yes. I'm a fan of the, the journaling aspect of it. And I have plenty of journals here. So I think that'll be a great, uh, a great thing. It also is just, just a piece of like documentation. I think it'd be cool to look back on, on that, you know, X amount of years from now, I think it'd be pretty great. So I'm a big fan of that. And, and it's, you remind me too, with, with meditation, I, it was, I haven't done it in, I haven't done it since March, but, or no, it was April. The last time I did it was like April 21st, I think when I interviewed Mark Manson and I used to meditate before my interviews, I would do five, 10 minutes in the, you know, like in the headspace app. Uh, and it was really, really helpful. And I even put out a video that week, like, like, yo, you got to meditate before you do like this, this important stuff. And I just stopped doing it. <laughs> so thank you for that. Thank you for the suggestion and the, uh, and the reminder there. So how does one become, what, what are some ways that you've tried to become a better interview, if any, it, a better interviewer, if any, or is it just practice? And, and well, a lot of practice, but also the more I push myself. So I actually, you know, Quincy, when I interviewed Quincy Jones, he said something that, in hindsight, now actually very much applies to the kind of interviews I do. When I was interviewing Quincy Jones, he said that him and Steven Spielberg have the same approach to their work. Whether Quincy's in the studio or Spielberg is on set, they create this very strong structure and vision. But then when they get there, they completely let people improvise mm-hmm. and put their magic on it. And when I go into an interview, I am the same way. Um, for example, I'll tell you an example of an interview that I did that wasn't in the book. I did a second interview with Jessica Alba at a conference in LA. It was, you know, really exciting. There was you know, a thousand people in the room. Jeff Bezos was sitting in the first row. It was you know, really, really exciting. I knew, you know, the 10 big questions I had for her. I knew where I wanted to start. I knew where, you know, the tension would rise and I knew where I wanted to end. I had those 10 questions pretty memorized, Yeah. but I also knew that I wasn't attached to the order I asked them in. Because let's say, actually not let's say, it happened in the interview. Um, she, you know, brought up Elon Musk in one of her answers. And one of my questions later was about, you know, mentors, but it was like, I was thinking to ask it, you know, towards the end. And I said, you know, Jessica, you just brought up Elon Musk. I'm, you know, curious if, you know, he's been a man, you know, and then you can tie it together. So actually being in the moment, so having that really strong structure Mm. beforehand, and then when you're actually doing the interview, be fully present to what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. And perhaps be open to throwing away, you know, that rigid, the rigidity of the structure that you had. Of course, because if you are sticking to your structure, then you're missing what's actually happening in front of you. It's the truth. I think, and I'm remembering now somewhere, uh, who was it? Was it Larry or Cal that was encouraging you to ditch the notepad? As Cal. As Cal. Yeah. Did you, I forget. Did you ever, you, you, you ended up working up the courage to, 
to yeah i don't i don't i don't take questions at interviews anymore no i have them in my head but yeah i don't don't take i don't take any because what i've learned is also when you're sitting in front of someone looking in their eyes for the whole hour they start talking to you like a person who's looking in their eyes for a whole hour right if you are staring down at a notepad like an fbi interrogator even if you're the nicest person but if you look down and you say a question that had nothing to do with what they just said they're being interrogated Ooh. Mm. that that hit me <laughs> i i don't think i've ever taken that 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 much of a silence in uh in the podcast before so do you think uh i, I you know banking off of you know i just ha- i asked you the question how to become a better interviewer do you think you're a good interviewer yeah yeah you do I'm pretty look i also know how much you know room i have for growth and i'm sure in for sure. years i'll look back and laugh but yeah, I'm really, I'm really proud of myself. So this is going to come off as a very stupid question, perhaps, but I wondered this from the from the jump of of, of just reading this book. Okay, why not release these at, in in it not? It doesn't have to be a podcast format, but why not release the actual audio of some of these interviews? somewhere like i imagine the one with maya angelou like i would love i would love 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 to hear that whole thing you know what i mean why not it's you know obviously it's you know something i've thought about hundreds if not thousands of times um maya angelou it's funny you would use that example it's actually the best singular audio oh, wow. by far because just her voice and her words it's remarkable um and Maya Angela, we actually did she was the one interview that we did publish uh excerpts with the Oprah Winfrey Network online. Oh, okay. So the Oprah Winfrey Network Super Soul page published that during the book launch. Um I had to think very hard about what the purpose of this mission is. Mm-hmm. Very, very hard. And what I came down to is that the mission of this book, and you actually said in the beginning of this podcast, is to inspire a generation to believe in what's possible. And what I've learned is that you can give someone all the best tools and tactics and knowledge in the world, and their life can still feel stuck. But if you change what someone believes is possible, they'll never be the same. And to me, to, you know, dump out these audios with no context and no uh. through line. And again, at some point in my life, I may just, you know, donate it to a nonprofit organization and put it out there. Um, but it wouldn't help move the mission forward. Because... Everything that needed to be conveyed to the reader to help change what they believe is possible is in the book. And it's funny. One of the big reasons I wrote this book is because I remember reading Outliers when I was 18 with Malcolm Gladwell Mm -hmm. saying, oh, I wish I could just, 
hear what Bill Gates told Malcolm Gladwell, not what Malcolm Gladwell told me Bill Gates told him. You know, this is so frustrating. Uh, and only now that I'm a, you know, a writer myself, I realized if Gladwell just published Bill Gates's transcript, first of all, there's a thousand Bill Gates transcripts on the internet that no one reads because there's no context. Um, there's no, it's not compelling. The goal of a writer is to give the reader the best singular experience they can. Yes. Respect. And for me, just turning this into a Q and a would have been easier. I would have finished the book much, 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 much faster. Uh, but it would not have been in service of the higher mission and the higher goal of this book. Respect. So a lot of people ask you about the book, of course, Alex, but is there anything that you wish people knew more about yourself? If not, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have the two dopest sisters in the world. Nice. I have an older sister and a younger sister. My older sister, her name is Brianna, and she's a special education attorney. So what she does is she helps kids with special needs get the services they're entitled to by law, but sometimes schools try to, you know, cut the budgets and try to cut corners. And my sister, you know, advocates for kids with special needs. And my younger sister, Talia, is getting her doctorate in family psychology, focusing on childhood trauma. So yeah, my sisters are awesome. Love it. Respect to that as well. Well, Alex, uh, before I ask my final question, I, uh, I just want to say I really appreciate you and thank you for spending your time with us today. <laughs> that answer had nothing to do with anything, but that is the truth. You said, you know, outside of the book, and <laughs> even before you finish asking the question, you said outside of the book. And the first thing I thought is, oh, I'm going to call my sisters as soon as this is done. And so when you asked that, they said, nice. this is something you should know about me. That's outside of my career but it's a central part of my life. It's great. What was I saying before? What the heck was I? Uh... Oh, I was like, oh, yeah, I was just saying I appreciate you because <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you really seem to me like now more than ever after the book, like you're like one of those people that if someone else wrote this book, they would interview you for their book you know like you just you can just hear it in in the way that you speak to very very polished uh obviously someone to someone to look up to someone that many people are the you know would very much like you know the people that you interviewed for this book would would look up to that's very kind of you to say thank you so my final yeah 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 of course so my final question is uh if you could teach a course at a university a course of your creation or otherwise what would it be Mm. Wow, that that the answer to that question would change weekly, if not yearly. <laughs> that's the truth. I'd actually teach something different every year, but well, that's a good. Let, thing. Let's say, let's say this year. Um, hmm. All, oh my God, it would change so much. I would, you know, maybe teach a class on, you know, you know, storytelling. I would teach a class on, 
I think you're pretty good at I'll storytelling. Te- I'll, teach, I'll teach an entrepreneurship class, but it would be called like entrepreneurship for people who don't want to start a business. It would be, <laughs> um, I would you know do something related to uh, activism. Uh, yeah, I would have a lot of yeah. There's a lot of different things I'm really passionate about. Excellent thirddoorbook.com. Alex Benign, you're the man. Thank you very much. I am very, very grateful. And I hope we can do this again. We've reached the end of this episode of Growth Mindset University. For more keys to success and methods to inspire your entrepreneurial spirit, head to jordanparis.com slash course and enroll in our free course to elevate your podcast to the next level. Be sure to pass the show along to someone you know who will benefit from the lessons learned in each episode, and we'll catch you and them on the next episode of Growth Mindset University.